Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Good evening and welcome in to another episode of the QB11 show. It feels like deja vu all over again. I think this is our third episode in four days now. So welcome back, Andrew, QB. I don't want to say I'm getting sick of talking to you, but uh, it's been a lot the last couple of days. Yeah, it's crazy. It's we're on a bye week and we're recording more than ever. Yeah, yeah. Like recording two days and or sorry, two nights and three days with Hithliday and then um, getting our picks pod in that was supposed to be like, oh, well, let's just do a short little 30-minute picks pod that turns into an hour and a half preview of the weekend's action, which like now seems like a giant waste of time when you evaluate our picks. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. Do we want to talk about that? Yeah, let's let's just jump into our picks. That sounds like a okay, good Okay, so, you know, QB, uh, you, your, your rate on the year had been just over 60%. Uh, you're going to take a little bit of a hit this week because you went uh, five wins, six losses against the spread. So it's respectable, slightly under 50%. Um, but it's going to bring you down a little bit on the year. Unfortunately, um, your your humble co-host here was had another really bad week. I only got three right, eight wrong. Um, that's not a good week by any stretch of the imagination. And my overall total is going to sink. Um, I'm now six games under 500 on the year. You're still 10 over, so... You're up. You're up uh, a full six, uh, eight games on me as well. So this thing is getting out of hand pretty quickly. And I, whatever, I, I don't think we bet on anything, right? Like there was no bet. So no, no, it was no, just for fun. Not, not this year. Next year we'll have to figure something out. But okay. yeah, like, we're <laughs> we're supposed to be Pac-12 like fans, and we're supposed to know this conference. And we both went one in four picking Pac-12 games this weekend. So not exactly. The weekend we were anticipating when we did our preview episode, um, but in our defense, there was some wacky results in the Pac-12 this weekend. Well, yeah, Wilcox cooged it at Colorado. That's a good start. Um, and Stanford, what the hell? They break yeah. their their eleven game FBS losing streak at Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm not like someone. Someone needs to be fired from each of those games. I don't care who it is. Like you could just pick somebody random, but like th- those types of results can't like be allowed to stand. Yeah. Well, let's get into the games. Let's talk about the national games first, then we'll circle back on the Pac-12 and we'll we'll update our power rankings. And this was kind of a little preview. This was the hardest uh, power rankings update for me yet, uh, partly because of some of those wacky results we're talking about. But uh, we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Let's start in Tennessee. Rocky Top, right? Yeah, I wish I was in Knoxville on Saturday night. Probably was a pretty fun place to be. Um, what a crazy game. And frankly, a game that with about a minute left, I felt very confident that Alabama was going to win. Like you have Bryce Young, who's playing at an extraordinarily high level, driving them down the field in the field goal range. Like, Not super psyched about the play call selection there down the stretch. I feel like 
if you're going to play for the field goal to win, you probably should run the ball to bleed some of that clock down, um, which they did not do. They threw three straight times before attempting a 50-yard field goal um, that was missed, leaving plenty of time, which really wasn't that much on the clock for Hendon Hooker and the Tennessee offense to go right down the field and, and respond with a game winner of their own. Um, which was honestly one of the ugliest field goals I've ever seen actually go through the uprights. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, what a perfect ending. ending to to an incredible. I mean, the best game of the year by far. I, there won't be another game this year that tops this one, and in probably one of the best games of the last you know several seasons in college football. But yeah, the the way to end it with that knuckleball sideways rotation. Uh, you know, kick that looks like there is no chance that that thing is going to have the distance, and somehow it did. Luckily for that kicker, in the history books, he will always he'll go down as the guy who hit the game winner to end a 15 game losing streak to their arch rival in Alabama, and it likely will omit the fact that it was a wounded duck flying through the air um, that barely made it over the upright from like 30 yards. The only thing that matters is the result, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I mean, obviously Bryce Young played in this game. I think in our preview, you didn't think he would. I I thought maybe he would. That's why I I picked uh, picked Bama, um, which turned out you know to be a good pick in the sense that he did play and and Bama was was right there in this game. But um, that that Bama winning by seven went by the wayside pretty quickly in the, in the first half for me. And I started chalking that one up as a, as a L for sure. But I mean, Tennessee's offense, I mean, we just got to talk about that, right? Uh, they, they just seemed unstoppable. And every time, you know, Bama got the ball, you know, you know, got closer or narrowed the game up or, or had a, a drive that tied it, then Tennessee just came back again and again and again with, with uh, an you know an, an answer and Hyatt, I mean their their receiver, two hundred seven yards and five touchdowns on eight catches. Or sorry, six catches, six catches, five of them were touchdowns. That guy yeah. had an incredible game. Yeah, this this game raises some questions for Bama going forward, just about the secondary in general. Like their defense is rated really high from a power from a metric standpoint to this point in the season, but they they can get thrown on, and that's pretty clear and. They were doing Tennessee. They uh, Heupel was doing a really good job of of getting the matchups he wants. They run those old Art Briles really wide splits, um, and that can create some problems, and that can also cause some isolation matchups on safeties with faster players. And uh, as much as I think there's a lot of really good players in the Alabama secondary, maybe from an individual parts standpoint, I do think that there's a couple guys in that in that group that can get taken advantage of um, vertically and. Tennessee found those guys very, very often. It was a really good game plan. Uh, I was surprised by how healthy um, Bryce Young was and looked. He didn't seem to be uh, like nursing his arm in any way, shape, or form. And he took some shots in this game. I, honestly, it's it's kind of weird because Tennessee wins the game. Hendon Hooker is going to be the one that's getting all the Heisman love coming out of it. But Bryce Young outplayed Hendon Hooker in this game, and he was tremendous. And it, he really kind of drugged them through the first half and and brought them back into this game and was the only reason that this game was competitive. Like if they didn't have Bryce young, Tennessee probably wins this game in a blowout. So oh yeah, really, really impressed with him. Jameer Gibbs was awesome to watch too. Uh, but the Tennessee offensive line did a really good job of keeping Hendon hooker clean. And he was on schedule and throwing on time and rhythm for the most part, most of the game. 
uh, which is saying something when you're considering that Will Anderson and Dallas Turner are two of the edge rushers for Alabama, um, both future first round draft picks. So really impressive performance. Like to me, I believe in Tennessee now. Like I think that they're fully legit. I think that they can give Georgia a run for their money. Although that game is going to be in Athens. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. Uh, just uh, this was an incredible offensive explosion. The teams combined for 1136 yards and 101 points in this game. And the yardage was very equal, 569 to 567. It was it, it was an incredible shootout. Certainly not your your father's or your grandfather's SEC matchup by any stretch, but uh, you know, just just two just really really good offenses, particularly going back and forth, and certainly seemed like. Alabama was going to win when they got that scoop and score fumble deep in, in Tennessee territory to go up seven. It just felt like, Oh, that's it. Bama, Bama pulled it out, but man, Tennessee just came right back, came right back every time. Yeah. Good resilience, a lot of good counter punches. And then really it just came down to who had the ball last. And in this case it was Tennessee and Brew McCoy, the former USC pl- uh, receiver made a huge catch to get them in the field goal range. Yeah, that was a big one. I, I, I mean, I never would have thought. Oh, they have twenty three seconds. They can't get in field goal range, <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, wow, there's a thirty yard play down the, you know, down the middle or something. How does that happen? Yeah, like How if the clock, happen? if the clock was properly managed by Bama, like there should have been zero time left on the clock when that Alabama kick, like, was either yeah. decided to be good or no good. Yeah, it was definitely some some mismanagement there for sure. I mean, you know, maybe they just had too much confidence in their kicker or, or they were trying to trying too hard to get another first down instead of, you know, maybe we just take six or seven yards to make this a 42 yarder instead of a 50. Right. And we do that on the ground. So we bleed some clock force Tennessee to use some timeouts, you know, use some timeouts, whatever. Right. Like it, it definitely felt like, you know, not the best clock utilization we've seen, you know, out of a Nick Saban coaching staff. Yeah, agreed. Anything more on this one? No, I think we covered it pretty good. It was excellent game. Like the post, <clears throat> the post game stuff with like the field completely covered and burnt orange and uh, the just cigar smoke floating through the air and the the goalposts getting carried out of the stadium. Like um, that's that's really cool for those fans. Like fifteen years is a long time to go without beating your rival. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that they got the win. That, what, that was a pretty electric atmosphere. Yeah, and it sure makes the SEC race, and we'll talk about that later in the show, but it, it makes the SEC race that much more interesting coming down the stretch. So uh, let's move on. Um, I've got uh, Penn State-Michigan. That was another game that was billed as a matchup of two undefeated teams in the Big Ten, but this one uh, was not close. And, and I think it was even less close than the score. Uh, Michigan wins 41-17 at home. And that was after really blundering their way through several several failed red zone attempts in the in the first quarter of the game, particularly. Or it could have been a 50-something. 50, 50 uh, so it, it, Michigan just dominated this game. And yeah. Yeah. No, this game was not nearly as close as the score indicated. And it wasn't a very close game on the scoreboard. So... Uh, Penn State really had two plays, and one of them they kind of manufactured. It was a broken play where Sam or where Sean Clifford scrambled for about sixty yards. The other one was a pick six on kind of a weird, like poorly executed screen pass. That was really it. Like Michigan won 
95% of reps in this game, just like snaps. Like if we were giving a binary win or loss on snaps, Michigan won almost all of them this entire game, both offensively and defensively ran the ball for over 400 yards. Um, both Corum, <laughs> like they had two backs over 160 yards rushing, like big explosive plays in the run game. Like the only thing that was missing from this game was Michigan, like kind of taking the top off of the Penn state defense, but they didn't have to, they just absolutely manhandled them in the front, bullied them. Um, and the kind of some concerns that I had about Penn state, like going into the year and like they, they had that, they haven't been able to run the ball and really since Joe Moorhead and Saquon Barkley left and they kind of looked to have fixed that this year early on. Um, but it turns out that that's just because it was against Purdue and Auburn. Um, and when you play against a good team, Penn state still can't run the football. And if you can't run the football and Sean Clifford's your quarterback, you're going to lose because I can't remember the, the exact stat, but anytime he attempts over like 27 passes, they're like one in 11 with, or not like it's like one in seven with him as the head of the, uh, starting quarterback. So Penn state to me is just a very clearly a tier below um, Michigan and Ohio state, really, really strong performance for Michigan. If they can figure out a vertical passing attack, that's going to be a hell of a game with Ohio state later this year. Yeah. So, I mean, Penn state mustered 268 total yards in this game. They had 10 first downs. I mean, mean, Michigan just destroyed them. And, and if they're, if they're the second tier of the Big Ten, that's a big drop from the top two to who, whoever's next. Whether you want to say that's, you know, Illinois or Purdue or Penn State or or whoever, uh, Minnesota, like that, I think that's a that's a league that has two teams that are elite, and then I don't know, man. I don't even know if there's another team that belongs in the top twenty. I think <laughs> I, there's a plucky middle. But I don't like. I do think that there's a substantial drop off. I think Penn State's a top twenty team. Um, Michigan, like they won the Joe Moore last year for having the best offensive line in the country. This offensive line looks to be probably a little better than last year's, uh, and they have a better quarterback now. Like JJ McCarthy, suppose like I don't know this, but he's been dealing with a little bit of a labrum inj- uh, injury in his throwing shoulder, and that's part of why they haven't been throwing vertically as much as apparently he's struggling with accuracy and touchdown field due to the injury. Uh, but he's a really, really good athlete, which is a new dimension relative to Cade McNamara, who could kind of scramble for some yards, but like you legitimately have to account for McCarthy in the run game. So they're, now they're just getting a numbers advantage with McCarthy's legs, uh, which is not something that that offensive line or those running backs needed to begin with. So really, really dynamic run game for Michigan. Fun to watch. They're, they're just mauling people. Yeah, they're they're really good. I mean, I I thought they were going to take a, a couple steps back from last year, but I, I mean, this team might be better than last year's team. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. And and as for Penn State, you know, they've got they've got a tough road. You know, they play Minnesota next week in a game that both teams really need to win, uh, and then they got Ohio State the week after. So you know, I think there's another game, another couple games down the road too. Like you know, Maryland's a game that's not necessarily going to be an easy win for Penn State either. So it's a team that could easily fall to you know eight and four, you know, before it's all said and done. So they've got they've got their work cut out for them. Absolutely. What's the next one on the list? We got NC State and Syracuse. The Orangemen keep it rolling. Move to six and zero with a twenty four nine victory uh, against the Wolfpack. Are the Orangemen for real? Or is it just the orange? Sorry, it's just the orange now. Are the orange for real? Um, 
no, uh, they're not for real. I picked them in this game. Um, or I, I picked the I picked Syracuse. You did in this game. Uh, kind of lucky though. I I didn't realize that Devin Leary was out for the season. That's NC State starting quarterback. Uh, they announced it after the game that he was out and he didn't play at all in this game. NC State's offense without Devin Leary is like unbelievably difficult to watch. Like it's better than Colorado, but it's not like a lot better than Colorado. And that's going to be a problem because like just looking at the box score in this game, because I didn't get to watch the whole thing live. They Syracuse's offense was not really that efficient. <laughs> like they, no. they had, they had a couple big explosive plays and, and that's about it. Um, and this was a low scoring game where NC state just like literally couldn't scrap together anything offensively. So without Devin Leary, this team falls off. I don't think they're a top 25 team anymore without him. Uh, which really just kind of goes, this is almost like that 2018 Oregon team where uh, Justin Justin Herbert gets hurt and Braxton. 2017. 2017. Was it 2017? That was 2017, yeah. Yeah, well, where, where, Bert, where Herbert gets hurt and Burmeister comes in, it's like a completely different team without Devin Leary, um, except I think that the Cincy State team is running a very inferior uh, offensive scheme to what Oregon was running even at that time. So, um, going to be tough for the Wolfpack going forward. We'll see how they how they end up finishing, but uh, I I have feel very strongly that Syracuse is going to get absolutely torched against Clemson next week. Yeah, I was about to say I, I, the Orange. I don't think are for real either. They are six and zero. They've probably played. <laughs> I mean, six of the weakest teams on their schedule. Five of six. I don't know. They got their next their next stretch is brutal. They got Clemson, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Florida State, Wake. And then they end with Boston College. So well, I don't think that they beat NC State if if Devin Leary is playing. Like I don't think that that game yeah. would be particularly close. Um, and so, yeah, I they've been very fortunate to this point. I'm glad, good for them. It's a great season for those fans. Uh, but I have a feeling they're going to tumble back down to reality here over the course of the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I I mean they could easily lose four or even five of their of their next six. So it's uh, it's been a good run for the Orange. They're obviously going to make a bowl game. It's great. It's great for them, and and they've been a team that's been down for a long time. So uh, you know credit to them for for getting this far. And and who knows? There's been upsets. So we'll see what happens the rest of the way. You ready to move on? Yep. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. All right, we got Oklahoma State at TCU. This is a game that I was flipping back and forth between this one and another one, and uh, it looked like Oklahoma State was kind of going to run away with this thing. You know, they were up thirty to sixteen, you know, fairly late in the game, and TCU engineered a, a comeback in the fourth quarter, um, pulled it even, sent the thing to overtime, and and TCU prevailed forty three to forty in double overtime. And really claimed the the driver's seat in the Big Twelve over the over the Cowboys. So, you know, TCU's offense continues to roll five hundred and ten yards. Um, and I thought, you know, Sanders for Oklahoma State, their quarterback Spencer Sanders, I just he he was not he was not good in this game. And Oklahoma State just they should have put this game away. They had a lead, and then they just couldn't do anything with the ball in the last quarter and a half. All they needed was one drive for one one score, and they couldn't do it. Oklahoma State's offense in this game was kind of like one of the like in the early original Fast and the Furious movies when the guy who like uses his nitrous first loses. Like they came <laughs> out of the gates, used like dumped out all their trick plays, 
just used up all of the offense they had for the day in about a quarter. And then instead of like losing by a fraction at the end, which they kind of did, the offense had the emergency break pulled on it immediately after using the nitrous. Like they just didn't manufacture anything offensively beyond those first couple drives. And TCU, Max Duggan did not have his strongest day. He looked kind of inaccurate at times. They just kind of kept plugging away and found the offense over the course of the rest of the game. Um, and it was pretty clear, like watching the third and fourth quarter, especially the second half of this game, that that there was no way Texas Christian was going to lose if this game went to overtime, just based on the fact that they were kind of driving up and down the field and getting chunk plays and, and actually establishing the run while while Oklahoma State's defense was just becoming tired and their offense was going three and out over and over again. So big win for TCU. I think the right team won in this game. Unfortunately, the right team didn't cover, so we both got this one wrong. If they if they allowed them to kick the completely unnecessary extra point in overtime after they scored the touchdown, uh, we would have at least got pushed. the push. Yeah, but that's the problem with overtime. So uh, slower start for the TCU offense, kind of a clunker offensively, which is to say something, which is pretty impressive when you still manage 500 yards of offense um, and, and beat a top 10 team ish. Not really. Um, but yeah, great great win for TCU. Excited to see them kind of play the the home stretch of teams on their schedule, including Texas. Yeah, and that, uh, there's both these teams have really important games coming up the next week. So Oklahoma State has to shake this off because they host Texas this coming week in a game that you know they probably need to win if they want to stay in you know in the race for the the Big Twelve title game. And then TCU plays Kansas State, so these are the two undefeated teams in conference play in the Big 12. So the winner of, of Kansas State TCU this weekend will really be in the driver's seat for, for the Big 12 as we head down the stretch. In a conference, that's going to be really fun to watch play out. I mean, there's there's probably seven or eight teams that could make that title game depending on how things play out, and it's it, they're all closely matched. So I think there's a lot of good games coming. Let's move on. Um, I've got... Clemson getting a win at Florida. Florida State just seems to like to play people close. Uh, although they guess they had a kind of a couple of late touchdowns that made this game look closer than it was. Clemson wins 34-28 over the Seminoles to go to 7-0 and and you know keep their playoff hope, playoff drive running. I mean, DJ Ugalon, uh, DJ Ugalele. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, had a had a pretty solid game, 200 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Didn't really throw a lot. They really Ran, you know, pushed the ground game. They actually got outgained by Florida State by almost 100 yards. But you know, you don't you don't win with yards, you win with points. And Clemson took care of business in 34-28. Yeah, I caught parts of this game. The scoreboard doesn't indicate how lopsided this game was. Florida State made it closer late, but Clemson really controlled this thing um, for the most part since about like mid second quarter. So. Um, I would consider this a pretty dominant performance by Clemson. Their offense continues to look strong. I don't know that it's – well, I, I do know it's not elite, um, but I don't think that there's anybody that in the ACC that could challenge them right now with the way they're playing defensively. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a typical Dabo, right? Like, just, we're just going to win with defense, and our offense will – you know, outside of when he had just, like, incredible quarterback play, right? Like, his offense is always just like, we're just going to do enough – to win comfortably, you know, by a score or two, but we're not going to, you know, necessarily put up 500 yards a game or anything. And, and their defense is, is certainly incredible. So 
yeah, uh, Clemson keeps rolling and it's hard to imagine any scenario where they're not in the ACC title game. Um, it's just a I, matter of who their opponent's going to be, I think. Yeah, I mean, so they're still doing divisions. It's not top two. and they've Yeah, already, it's still divisions one more year. Yeah. Yeah, and they've now beaten Florida State, Wake, um, NC State, and I think if they beat Syracuse this weekend, they win the division. Yeah, maybe not officially, technically, but for all intents and purposes. I mean, they're 5-0 and in the conference. If they win this week, they move to 6-0. and The ACC only plays eight conference games. You're probably right. They probably would clinch because, I mean, Syracuse would only have one conference loss. So I guess there's a scenario where if Clemson drops their last two and Syracuse runs the table, they could win. But, I mean, that ain't going to happen. So Yeah, like effectively, if they beat Syracuse next week, they've beaten – the top four teams below that, the next four teams below them, yeah, in, in the division divisional standings. Um, so yeah, I mean, technically they would have to win one more game to seal it, but I don't see Syracuse winning out beyond Clemson. Right. Well, nor do I see Clemson dropping their, their games against Louisville and Miami. Sorry, Louisville, Louisville, and Miami. Yeah. No. Certainly not. I mean, Clemson. Clemson is uh, really bludgeoning teams with a like a blunt force object. Like they're just a hammer, especially defensively. They're just kind of sitting on teams. So gonna be uh, gonna be a fun game to watch next week. I think they're gonna try to make a statement. I it's gonna look better um, than it really is beating Syracuse just due to the fact that they're ranked 14th. I don't know that they really should have beat Purdue. Um, if I remember watching that game earlier this season. But it is what it is. They they're undefeated, and uh, Clemson gets a nice little resume boost this coming Saturday. All right, let's move over to the SEC. Uh, Mississippi State number what came in number sixteen played at number twenty two Kentucky. Kentucky wins by ten at home, twenty seven to seventeen, and both teams are now five and two on the year. Both teams remain ranked. Um, in the new rankings out today, Mississippi State fell eight spots to number twenty-four, and Kentucky moved up three to number nineteen. And again, both are five and two on the year. Yeah, thoughts on this one? Yeah, so Will Levis comes back in this game for Kentucky. Obviously, a shot in the arm. The Mississippi State offense did absolutely nothing this entire game. Like they had twenty-two yards rushing on almost thirty carries, and. They had 200 yards through the air. And when you're an air raid team that throws the ball 37 times in a game and you muster 5.5 average yards, that's not great. Um, they lost the yardage battle in this game, 225 to 478. Kentucky was able to be balanced. Will Levis had a pretty solid day, uh, 17 for 23, 230 yards, one touchdown and one interception. Chris Rodriguez back in the lineup after missing some games early with his suspension. Uh, 30 carries for 196 yards and two touchdowns. This was just a game where Kentucky was able to do what they wanted to do. Um, And defensively, they had a good plan for playing against Mississippi State. It seemed like they had watched plenty of uh, former Apple Cup films uh, where where Jimmy Lake and company just kind of sat on this offense. Uh, Really disappointing performance. I expected Mississippi State to be able to win this game pretty easily. But this is just kind of what Stoops teams do. They They win these games once or twice a year. And um, like now Kentucky's five and two, like still in a pretty strong position to, to fight for third place in the sec East. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are your two 
two typical middle of the road SEC teams, right? They get their four, their four Patsy wins out of conference, and they they go three and five or four and four in conference, beat beat the teams they should, lose to the teams that are better than them, and finish eight and four. That's that's what I see in both of these teams, and they'll they'll hover around the twenty to twenty five you know, rankings for the year because they're in the SEC and that's what happens. Yeah, I'm just going to make a statement about the SEC in general this year. I think this is the softest the middle of the conference has been in a while. Like, I think that there's three very good teams in Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia. Um, and I think that Ole Miss is respectable and probably deserves to be maybe in a tier by themselves above the rest. But all of these other teams are yeah, very average. I mean, LSU is not a great football team. Mississippi State is not a great football team. Texas A&M is, is not a great football team. Auburn, Arkansas, those are bad football teams. You know, and then you go on the other side, and yeah, you got obviously Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky's fine. South Carolina's not good. Florida's mediocre. Vandy and Mizzou are bad. I mean, it's not a great conference out outside of those top three. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe you throw the fourth the fourth one in there with um, with Ole Miss. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, because they all go undefeated in preseason because they don't play anybody, like they all end up getting ranked at some point because, like, oh hey, they're five and two and they play in the SEC, even though they're one and two in conference. Like, it's just it's one of those things where like they, they, these teams have so one of these teams has to win when they play each other, and so it boosts their own resumes. Yeah, um, yeah, but it, it's pretty clear to me that the top three teams in this conference would be favored by like ten plus against every other team in this conference, regardless of where it's played. Yeah, and I think I think you're seeing that play out in the games, and and you're going to continue to see it play out in the games, right? When you have games with Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama against other teams not in that grouping, you know, those games are going to, for the most part, be 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 dog walking exercises, right? And then you know, I mean, we've seen that. Like even Ole Miss Auburn was kind of a game from for the most part. Like Ole Miss jumped out early, Auburn comes back, makes it competitive late. Um, couple turnovers by Robbie Ashford and, and the Auburn offense end up kind of sealing it for Ole Miss. But like, Ole Miss is supposed to be the fourth best team in that conference right now, and they're gonna kind of getting drug into a longer slugfest with the worst team in the SEC West. You said it. I you know I think both the Big Ten and the SEC have really strong tops. Obviously, I think you know five of the best six teams in the country are in those two those two conferences with Clemson being the other one, but the drop off, you know, to that middle tier is significant. And I, I think both of the team, both of those conferences have softer middles than they've had in a number of years. I would agree yeah. with that. And uh, there's been a lot of coaching turnover in the sec. And I think that that's contributed to a lot of it. Like it, when Bill, when Brian Kelly and Billy Napier are in year one um, at two of the more prominent programs in that conference, it's going to make a difference. So, Letting those guys get their recruits in, get those rosters rebuilt and the cultures installed will make a difference to the quality and depth of the SEC. But as it stands today, not nearly the depth that uh, we're accustomed to seeing from that conference. Let's move to the Pac-12 where where neither one of us were particularly good at picking games this week. Well, none of the games made any sense this week. No, no. No, even, even the one we got, well, I think the one we got right it actually kind of played out how we were we were talking about it. Um, but, I, I mean, yeah, we'll get to each game. And, yeah, they didn't make any sense for the most part. But let's start. We got to start. We have to start with California at Colorado. We have to. 
Colorado gets a win. No one thought they were going to get a win. You predicted them to go 0-12 at the beginning of the season. I predicted them to win a Pac-12 game. And so now I look like a genius um, for predicting that somewhere along the way. Um, I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but apparently it, it was Cal. And and Cal somehow scores 49 points against Arizona, runs away with the game, but can't put up more than 13 in Boulder. I already didn't like Justin Wilcox because of all the offseason like shenanigans and like and drama and the rumors that were being spread about like the him refusing the Oregon job. Cough, cough, those were bullshit. Um, I really don't like him now because I've been super arrogant and pompous about the fact that, that Colorado isn't going to win a game this year. And then he goes in there and lays just such a massively colossal egg that they not only don't manage to cover, first team that didn't cover against Colorado all season, and that includes games against Air, like FBS, but not Power Five teams like Air Force. But they lose outright in overtime to Colorado with an interim head coach. I, I like somebody again. Somebody needs to be fired. I don't know who it is. I think Bill Musgrave is probably a good place to start, but I, I think the head coach should follow uh, when the season when the season ends. Also, this is a note to athletic directors out there: there was no need for Cal to extend Justin Wilcox. Like they, no. they, they they did it out of fear of what? Like where was he going to go? And so now you're in a situation as a broke ass athletic department where you can't probably afford to buy him out, and so you're stuck with this mediocrity for another six or five years or whatever it is. Which I'm not sure that anybody in Upper Campus cares a cow, but or even in their fan base. But it's still it's absurd, um, and. <laughs> Like they should be embarrassed, and I like absolutely tanked them in my power rankings this week due to this performance. Oh yeah, they took a big hit in mine too. Uh, here's they 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 won the turnover battle. Like you'd think, okay, they lost to a vastly inferior opponent. Maybe they turned the ball over a bunch. No, they won the turnover. They were plus one in this game in turnovers. Cal managed thirty five yards rushing, thirty five rushing yards in the entire game against the Colorado defense. That's just been. Porous would be kind. I, yeah. I, this game makes no. I didn't watch it. I, I, I'm just. I, this game makes no sense to me. Cal just like schematically, offensively, they make the game of football look so hard. Like they don't do anything that allows the game to be easy. Like they don't. They don't scheme free access. They don't like just all the things that like good modern college offenses do to make the game easier for themselves, their quarterback, their run game. That allow that allow some rhythm and some first downs to develop. Like, they don't do any of them. Like they, they think they're, they are playing archaic offense. Like I would have thought like watching this game, I would have thought that they swapped offensive coordinators prior. Like Mike Sanford got lost on his way up to the the Colorado booth and ended up sitting in the in, next to sermon in, in the Cal booth. It was just <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what happened. Like Bill Musgraves coached in the NFL. I have, I've, the utmost respect for him as a human being and for the things he did as a player at Oregon. But this offense is an abomination. Like it, it's, it's completely inexcusable. I only have one more thing to say about Cal. It's distasteful towards the sport of football. And that's all I have to say. You said yeah. that about them several weeks ago, right before they, they somehow managed that incredible showing against Arizona, but you were right then QB and you have been vindicated and it is still distasteful to the sport of football in every way, shape and form. Yeah. The only thing that makes hearing your voice worse is hearing it with an echo. (laughs) 
but good for Colorado. I mean, they, I, I was actually impressed. They had a good turnout for this game. I mean, you're talking about a team who's on an offer, has nothing at all to be excited about. And their they fans a, showed up. Great, they've always had a great fan base. Like Colorado was like one of the better programs in America 20 years ago. Like the, the complete mismanagement of that athletic department from the top down is like, like one of the biggest screw jobs ever. Like the, Nebraska is their rival. Like Nebraska has a fantastic fan base. That's super loyal. Colorado does too. Colorado has been doing everything they can to shrink their fan base from a hiring standpoint, from a retention standpoint, from a prioritization of football standpoint, and yet they still show up. So good for Colorado fans. I have all the respect in the world for that fan base. Uh, they deserve a lot better, and hopefully the athletic director gets this hire right uh, because I think Colorado, if the resources are being committed, is a very good job. It is. It's it's a much better job than I think people think. I mean, they've got a they've got a passionate fan base. I think there's there's opportunities there to kind of rekindle some of their history, and and there's things you can use to build to build from it with that program. And, and in, I hope it happens for them in a pack 10. I would rather have the Colorado job than out than Oregon state or Washington state. I'd rather have it than Cal or Stanford. Like there there's not like it's for sure. in like around the middle of the conference in terms of job quality, once USC and UCLA leave. Yeah. I mean, obviously you take Oregon, Washington, Arizona state, Utah, and then Colorado's right there with Arizona for the next best job. And really, there's no, there's nothing that Arizona, or sorry, there's nothing that that Utah has other than like a much larger commitment from the athletic department, um, or maybe an upper campus. But like there, there's nothing inherently that Utah has that Colorado doesn't. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I, I really, I've always had a soft spot for for that program. I, I think that Boulder is a great place to watch a game. Um, I love the running of the of the Buffalo before the game. I think I think it's a cool place with a rich tradition, and um, hopefully they make the right hire and they get this thing turned around. I know I've been hard on them all year, but glad to see them get a win. Good for those kids. They've been playing hard all year, despite the fact that they have been horrible, which says a lot about those guys. So let's jump over from one Bay Area team to another because Stanford inexplicably goes into Notre Dame and wins. 16 to 14. So I'm going to have another knee jerk reaction here. Like things that I really typically just have a distaste for, but Tommy Reese needs to go too. like, if you can only like, if if you can't score 35 on this Stanford defense, you have no business coordinating a power five offense, let alone a power five offense at Notre Dame, where you should be able to recruit at an extraordinarily high level. Um, And they've certainly recruited at a high enough level to score more points on Stanford. I know Drew Pine is not the starting quarterback that at the beginning of the season. I know he's not a great player, but again, do the easy things. Like some of these schools are so tied to running these old school traditional offenses. I don't know. I again, like there's no excuse for this game. Notre Dame should be a substantially better team than Stanford is, and here we are on on uh, Sunday night recording a podcast after Stanford gets their first. FBS win in like 390 days um, and they do it on the road against Notre Dame. Yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, Notre Dame only managed 311 yards against a Stanford defense that has just been 
everyone has scored on Stanford. Like, I mean, everyone's just running up the field on them and running down the field on them and putting up points on them. And somehow Notre Dame manages zero in the first half, falls behind, um, what, 16 to zero? Uh, Sorry, 13 to zero. Um, It's inexplicable. I, I... it's a, it's unbelievable. I, I don't, I don't understand what's going on with Notre Dame. I mean, there are three and three on the year, which is crazy. Uh, with all the resources they have, all the players they have, and it's not like they're losing to, you know, Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State. I, I mean, they did lose to Ohio State, but I mean, they lost to Marshall, and now they've lost to Stanford. You know, and what, their though? wins haven't been particularly impressive either. I mean, they barely beat Cal at home by seven, and and a Cal team that just lost to Colorado. Right. And they, they squeaked by, uh, you know, a BYU team that's looking, you know, incredibly not or increasingly not like a very good football team. They, they beat them by a touchdown. I, this, this Notre Dame's not a good football team. Yeah. The only offensive performance they had that looked even halfway decent was against the North Carolina team that has proven <laughs> to not be, to be able to defend anybody but Miami. Um, so this is, it's, it's a tough scene. I, I'm not sure the the defense should be better too. I should, that, that goes without saying, but there's also this aspect of like, when you see guys like Lincoln Riley jump ship from Oklahoma and guys like Brian Kelly jump ship from Notre Dame, I think some of that can sometimes forecast that maybe their roster isn't where they had wanted it to be. And they're looking for an opportunity to start from scratch. I think this Notre team was bound to get worse. I don't think they're three and three though. And I don't think they lose to Stanford if Brian Kelly is still the head coach there. No, and they that, probably don't lose to. Those were just the, not the types the of games. Game yeah. yeah, those are just not the type of games that Brian Kelly ever lost at Notre Dame. So, let's move up to to Husky to the Husky Stadium, uh, where the Huskies hosted Arizona Wildcats. Uh, Washington coming off two straight road losses gets back home, gets back on the winning trail in a game that was the only one we both got right this week. Uh, Washington was a 14-point favorite. We took Arizona and the points. Washington won by 10, 49-39. The game pretty much played out exactly as we both predicted. A lot of offense, almost no defense, a lot of passing. Uh, Delora went for 400 and four touchdowns. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. threw for a Husky record 516 yards and four touchdowns. Um, And uh, Washington never really was threatened in this game. I get too much. I think, you know, they always kind of seem to have a two possession lead. Most of the second half, Arizona kept getting a, a score, but then Washington would just get one right back and kind of kept them at arm's range. They, uh, you know, uh, Arizona did pull within three, you know, late in the game, but if, of course, Washington scores right away and, and wins by 10. So yeah, exactly like we thought. Yeah. I, I figured Washington would win. I thought there was a real chance that they would, um, we would get a push on this because they would win by two touchdowns. They won by a touchdown and a field goal. So I feel like we forecasted this game pretty well. Um, the Washington run game continues to be very suspect, like 29 carries for 79 yards, 2.7 per against an Arizona team that like made, they, they managed to make Cal look good offensively just by how bad they were at defending the run. Um, it just kind of goes to say like, I, I still don't think this Washington team, it's particularly good running the ball, but they, they are extremely explosive throwing the ball. Uh, good receiving core. Michael Penix has been outstanding this season. Teams that are that have enough confidence to slow down the passing game are going to have a chance to beat Washington. Arizona wasn't one of those teams. 
although they did keep it close and they had two possessions late that that produced scoring opportunities um but when you when you don't have anything defensively like Arizona does it it's going to be a lot of pressure on your offense to execute on every drive and going 100% on drives is not is not a sustainable way to win games so unfortunately Arizona drops another one i'm glad that we got our over two and a half early um I don't know how many more wins are on the schedule. They've got a really rough stretch ahead. Uh, they they play USC this uh, in two weeks after a bye week, and then they play Utah and UCLA following that. So their next chance at a win is probably Washington State in, in on November nineteenth um, before their rivalry game with Arizona State. So tough, tough, tough to see for the Arizona Wildcats, but they're clearly getting better. Um, and T-Mac continues to be really, really impressive for them. He had seven catches for 132 and two touchdowns in this game. Big game for him. Yeah, and, and Washington, they go at Cal next week, and then they host Oregon State. So those are two defenses that m- maybe might be able to slow them down a little bit, but I, I just don't know if either of those offenses can can score enough because I think even if you slow down Washington, they're going to get their points. And I don't think – I don't know if Cal or Oregon State have enough. Certainly not Cal. <laughs> Uh, to match up on the other side. So, uh, you know, they could they could be rolling into the Oregon game on a three-game winning streak. So, something to watch for there. All right. So, speaking of Oregon State and Washington State, they played this weekend in a game that the Beavers won handily. I, I, I expected this game to be much more competitive than this. It was 24-10, Oregon State winning at home. Um, you know, fairly even yardage-wise, just... Uh, it just Washington State Cameron Ward. I just he's not a very good quarterback. He's just not very good. No, he throws not. for a lot of yards. Like he had three hundred forty-five yards. But you watch that game and you're like, he's not good. Washington State is just I can't trust them anymore. The defense is more than good enough for them to be winning some of these games. But with Cameron Ward at quarterback, the the inconsistency there is just it's not gonna. It's not something that you can project week to week. Um, and so for that reason, like I'll be kind of selling on Washington state now going forward. If they can get the right quarterback in there, this game is a lot closer. Uh, but the Oregon state defense is, is largely competent or just across the board. I don't think that they're elite at any level of the defense, but they, they do enough. Um, and like Washington state can't be expected to hold teams to single digits or two touchdowns every week for them to be able to win. So. Uh, they managed to do it against Cal, hold them to nine. Oregon State's a better quality team. Like, definitely was on the wrong side of this one. Uh, moving forward, I'll, I'll be less less bullish on the Washington State uh, offense. Yeah, I, I, me too. I maybe I just am thinking too much about the Washington State, you know, team that played against Oregon, and I, it just feels like we haven't seen that team again. So I. It, that was maybe just a product of that game and the circumstances of that game or something. But um, yeah, their offense has really taken several steps back. And and while their defense is certainly good enough to, to win games, they, they got to do a lot more with the ball than they're doing. Yeah. In- inconsistent quarterback play just doesn't travel very well. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that in mind going forward, like betting on them to win at Reeser was probably a bad bet. So. All right. I think we got uh, we got to talk about the game of the week. Obviously, in the Pac-12, uh, SC goes to Utah. Uh, 
really jumps out to an early lead. Looks like SC might be running away with this game. I think I, I made a couple of tweets early in the game that, that said, oh, this game's over. And obviously that was pretty stupid. Um, and then it kind of turned into a, a back and forth, like offense on offense slugfest. Um, and then, of course, US, US, uh, sorry, uh, Utah wins, scores the what could be the game tying touchdown at the end, decides to go for two. I love I love the guts there because that's a that's a decision at home. If you don't get it, you're going to get killed for it in the media. And and Kyle called it and they got it and they won the game. 43-42 over USC. USC takes its first loss on the year. They drop down to number 12 in the AP poll just behind 9th and 10th ranked Oregon, I'm sorry, UCLA and Oregon, and Utah jumps up uh, five spots to number 15. So the top four of the Pac-12 was all sitting there in the in the top 15. And uh, Utah, just a gutsy, gutsy win in this game. <laughs> they found another tight end. Imagine that. Yeah, well, Kincaid, I don't know if they're finding Kincaid. Kincaid's always been really good. But um, with Keithy out, he becomes like target number one, him and, and uh, uh, Valde. But the... The th- this game just kind of confirmed everything we had expected. Like USC explosive offensively, sometimes their efficiency lacks. Um, I Utah just played man coverage all day, which like, does not make any sense. Caleb Williams is like the highest pass rating in the conference against against man and the lowest against zone. And Utah runs a lot of man, and so Utah just kept running a lot of man. Like they didn't even try to like play into the weaknesses of their opponent, which was unbelievably stubborn and stupid in my opinion, and they almost lost because of it. But the, the, the Utah offense was able to lean on and just, and just move the ball consistently on, on a USC defense that really isn't very good. Like USC had one tackle for loss and zero sacks in this game. Just kind of going to highlight the fact that that defense is like extraordinarily average and has been propped up by all kinds of turnover luck. Like I think prior to this game, Every single fumble that hit the ground by any either USC or an opponent was recovered by USC. I don't know if that continued in this game. I can't recall off the top of my head. Um, and that actually might still be a true stat. It is. It's uh, uh, Utah got Utah turned it over once. USC did not turn it over, and I, it was a fumble. It was it was a fumble that bounced. You know, bounced. I think the Trojans have recovered every fumble, which is insane. That never happens. Yeah. So like they they, they continue to prosper off completely unsustainable turnover luck and it really is luck um and this defense like i, I would love for usc to make the pac-12 title game and we're going to make the pac-12 title game to see what our offense would do to this defense because i don't think that this utah offense is nearly as explosive as oregon they rely more on efficiency based plays and, and and just kind of working their way up and down the field and nine play ten play chunks like I think Oregon would be extremely explosive against this unit. And I think they'd be able to take advantage of a lot of the softness in the front seven. Um, and then on the flip side of that, like the, the Utah defense is just slow. Like it just doesn't have a lot of, a lot of speed in the front seven. Uh, Clark Phillips continues to play exceptionally well. He's a stud. Just like, I I know there's people that think that Gonzo is the best corner in the league. I personally prefer Phillips. It's close. I think, I think Phillips is the best corner in, in the pac 12. He might be the best corner in the in the country, um, based on how he's played to this point in the season. But there's just there's just something lacking. Like there's no pass rush for Utah. 
Their interior is okay, but I, I expected them to shed blocks better than they did against USC. The linebackers are decent players, but relative to what Utah is used to over the last eight years with Morgan Scalley as the defensive coordinator, this is a this is a down linebacking core. Um, I, I, I think that this Utah team is very, very, very mortal. And the fact that they're able to win in the manner they did against USC, despite some really horrible officiating, like some of the worst officiating we've seen all year. I don't, I think it's pretty clear that both UCLA and Oregon are better than both these teams. And I would agree with that. I think that both of these offenses are good, uh, but I think both of these defenses are not good. And I think that's what we saw on the field on Saturday night was, was two, you know, top 15, top 20 level offenses going against two, uh, you know, defenses that were really not well equipped to stop the other offensive strengths. I, I mean, I think, you know, Travis Dye might be the most important player on the USC offense, which sounds kind of crazy with Caleb Williams and Mario Williams and Jordan Addison. And by the way, you know, we got to see what happens with Addison. He went out with what looked like a, you know, could be a pretty significant injury, you know, to his leg. So we'll see if he's what his status is in the coming weeks. But I mean, Travis Dye is kind of the engine that, like you said, makes those efficiency drives, you know, click for USC and, uh, you know, good for him. But, you know, Cam Rising is kind of, just the do everything guy on the other side. He led them in rushing the Utah's rushing game this year outside of the quarterback has really gone like fallen off the map. Um, and I just, I just don't, I don't know. I agree with you. And and I think, you know, UCLA and Oregon are clearly in the driver's seat for the PAC 12 title. And, and even what's crazy is the winner of the UCLA Oregon game is definitely, you know, has a huge leg up to get to Vegas but even the loser still is in a better position than either USC or Utah as far as like tiebreakers goes and games against each other and all that goes goes down. So, um, and I and I think that is fitting because I agree with you. I think UCLA and Oregon are as well, teasing our power rankings a little bit are the best two teams in the conference, and I I don't think that's controversial. No, not if you're watching this game like as a spectator, just evaluating these two teams because. Like we had, we had a lot of solid priors going into this game, but what the strengths and weaknesses of either team was, and they basically played against each other the way that you would expect. Like, if this game got played for another twenty-five quarters, you would expect that both offenses would continue to win in the way they like to win, whether it's USC being explosive or Utah just running efficiency stuff. And I don't think that either defense would find a lot of luck um, producing stops as this game goes and in situations that don't require penalties or turnovers. Um, and so, yeah, just, just as we move forward, I think that the teams that have more juice to squeeze defensively are going to be better off versus teams like Utah and, and USC that like they kind of are what they are defensively at the stage in the season. Yeah. And I think what's going to be interesting is because of the schedule situation, uh, you know, I think we're going to see, after the UCLA Oregon game, we're going to see all four of these teams kind of go on a little bit of a streak um, as they kind of have some soft parts of their schedule. So it, it's really going to be good for the conference because I think you're going to continue to see four teams, you know, sitting in the top, five, you know, probably the loser of Oregon UCLA might fall down to 16 or 17 or something, but they'll be able to claw their way back up and you're going to see four teams sitting you know, sitting in the top 15 or better for, for a number of weeks, well into November, into that, you know, November 12th weekend when they all four play each other again, because, you know, 
Utah's got Washington State, which I, I'm not going to write that up as a gimme at Washington State, although, you know, with the Cougars reeling, who knows. But then they got Arizona and Stanford before they play Oregon. And USC has Arizona, Cal, Colorado as their next three right, before they play UCLA. So there's an opportunity, you know, then Oregon obviously after this UCLA game has has Cal and and Colorado. And, and I think, you know, UCLA too has a couple of, of lower tier games. So it's really good for the conference because I think you're going to continue to see these teams all rack up wins. And, and then you're going to hit that double showdown weekend of November 12th and you know, it's going to be lights out. Yeah, I 100% agree. All right. That wraps up the, the around the Pac-12 and around the country. So I think that brings us to power rankings update. Perfect. I'll go first. Number 12, still Colorado. Like, despite the fact that, that they beat Cal, they stay at 12 just based on the fact that they only have one win on this the entire season. Um, Cal has more than that. But... I, yeah, Cal's my number 11, just to, like, spoil that. Okay, well, we have the same, too. I have the also Cal at 11 and, and Colorado staying at number 12. I did I did briefly flirt with the idea of putting Cal below them just, just as penance for, for losing, but, you know, you got to look at the totality, and, and it's still Colorado. So they were just so, so far down. Now the, the, nap has, the gap has narrowed, so there is opportunity – for that flip to happen down the road, but not it's it's too early yet. Can't do it on one game. Yeah, so I'll jump to number ten then. Uh, St- I got Stanford as my ten, even though they went to Notre Dame and won. I don't think they're good, and they're still number ten. They actually moved up a spot. They were eleven last week for me, so I moved them up to ten. Yep, same. I have I have Stanford at ten. Like winning at Notre Dame means something because Cal couldn't do it, um, but doesn't mean they're great. So, who you got at nine? I've got Arizona at nine. Uh, just the way they, the way that they lost to Washington, I've got Arizona State at eight, and and they had just won the week prior. I know it's flipped home and away there, but um, I, I think that this is appropriate just given the way that Arizona State has played in recent weeks. Yeah, this is probably going to be the most that our power ranking has matched because uh, I've also got Arizona State at eight and Arizona at nine. And at number seven, I've got the Cougars of Washington State. I do too. And then I've got Washington at six and Oregon State at five. Oh, well, we got those flip-flopped. I, I'm keeping Washington at five and Oregon State at six, actually moving Air, Oregon State up. I had Oregon State down at number nine last week, um, and they jump all the way up to six for me. But I'm still putting Washington a little bit out of Oregon State. Um, obviously they'll play each other here soon and, and they'll get to fight that out, but I'm going to keep Washington ahead right for now. Yeah. The reason I don't have Washington above Oregon state is I think that, um, while Washington's loss to UCLA is a quality loss, Oregon state's two losses are to USC and Utah. So they've lost to two teams in the top four, whereas Washington has a really kind of inexcusable road loss to Arizona state who is nowhere near the top four. Um, so that I'm just based on resume. I've got Oregon state above Washington currently, they're going to play, and when that game gets played, that'll sort itself out. But regardless of who it's five, I think there's a pretty big gap between five and four, uh, yeah, which is where I have chasm. It's a chasm. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, I would venture to say it is a hard line that will not be crossed for the rest of the season. I don't think anyone in the top four falls below four, and anyone below them rises up above five. 
Yeah, I would probably agree with that. Um, but I got USC at four. Just after losing to Utah, they have to be below Utah. And uh, U- Oregon and UCLA were one and two for me last week. Uh, UCLA one, Oregon two. Uh, that leaves Utah at three, um, both one and two unchanged due to, to a bye week. Uh, but Utah, big win. Um, now they're in a position where they somewhat control their own destiny where they play Oregon here in a couple weeks. They don't control their own destiny. Neither does USC. Well, I mean, they control their own destiny more than they would have had they lost to USC. Oh, they would have been out if they lost. Yeah. yeah. So, but they, they, they need both USC and Utah need games outside of their control to go a certain way for, for them to make the Pac-12 title game. Whereas Oregon and UCLA um, don't. In fact, what's interesting, I, maybe I already said this, is if UCLA loses to Oregon, as long as, actually, let's just say it another way. If UCLA beats USC, they're in even if they lose to Oregon. And if Oregon beats Utah, they're in even if they lose to UCLA. So it, it's, uh, it's assuming pretty, they win, assuming they win the other of four, course, of course. Assuming you don't lose games. another game outside the top 4. Yeah. Yeah. So, but whereas uh yeah, I've so just going back to the power rankings a little bit, I still have Oregon 1, UCLA 2. Again, that'll sort itself out next week. And then I've got Utah 3 and USC 4 as well. I still think that they're like as much better as I do think that these top four teams are than, than 8, than 5 through 12. I do think that there is a risk that one of these four teams drops a, a game that they shouldn't to one of the teams below them. Um, so I, I don't like to take those games for granted when there's still half a season to be played. Of course. Yeah, there's, I mean, that, that I'll, I'll, when I'm going through these scenarios, right, you have to make some assumptions um, and not because you're, you're writing a game in as a win because there's just too many permutations of possibilities. If you, if you don't at this point, cause you know, there's still so much season left to play. So, you know, it's just more like, okay, assuming none of the top four lose to anybody outside of the top four, which again, huge assumption and, and don't take those for granted. But if, if you assume that, then here's the scenarios that, that will determine, you know, the, the Pac-12 title game participants. As soon as it, as soon as any of those teams lose to a team, which will happen, I'm sure, you know, someone from the top four will lose to a team outside of the top four, most likely, and maybe multiple someones. And as soon as that happens, it completely changes all the scenarios. Yeah. No, I understand what you're doing. Um, learned a new word today with permutations. That's good. Uh, but w- with that, all that said, I think we're uh, ready to wrap it up. I think so. We will be back on Thursday as usual with our UCLA Oregon preview. Huge game. Game day coming to Autzen. Josh Pate coming to Autzen. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. Not only have they sold out all the tickets, they've also sold out all of the standing room only tickets. It's probably going to be the most well-attended game at Autzen in six, seven years. Um, should be a great environment. It's on Fox, uh, twelve thirty kick. It's going to be. It's going to be. Are you coming? Are you going to make it? Uh, I was looking at tickets today, like last second here. Like I, I can. I have game ticket. It's just a matter of airfare. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the cheapest airfare I could find is like seven hundred bucks round tickets. Damn. Trip. So probably not. Um unless something shakes loose here and like they there's like a special that gets dropped, but yeah, I I'll, I'll be watching from my couch and screaming just as loud as anybody in the state in the stadium. But yeah, this is going to be, I mean, I can't really think of a comparable game since the 2018 Washington game in terms of 
like what the stadium electricity will be like when you have game day in town. Um, I, like you said, late kick with Josh Pate will be there. Um, it, it's going to be just a crazy, crazy environment. I, I wish it was a night game because that would have just really taken it over the top. But I think that between the env- the environment, all of the surrounding stuff, this Oregon team is going to be dialed, and I'm really excited to preview this game here in a couple of days. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, look out for that on Thursday morning, and now why don't you take us home, QB? Excellent. Thanks to everybody who's been listening. Make sure to give us five-star reviews on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, follow Doug at DouglasTS on Twitter. Follow myself at QB11SD, and we will see you in a couple of days.